You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome in. Sigh of sadness. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We're coming to you here on a Tuesday night recording following the Cardinals losing 34-7 to to the Los Angeles Rams. And uh, normally we jump in, go over the game, talk a bit about what we saw, things that we like. But when you get blown out in a way that was probably closer to anything that we've seen to the 2018 Cardinals, and in some cases maybe almost even worse, there's just not much to say. We're, we're going to dig into that. We'll dig into the, the team, the outlook, what's going to be going on with the rest of the season. Uh, but first, let's at least uh, bring up my co-host, the venerable John Venerable. It feels like it's been so long since we've actually had a show together. So how are you doing, John? I'm I'm good, Blake. Yeah, this is our first time really just doing our back and forth for the first time since I think before Thanksgiving. Uh, so I hope everybody out there uh, had a great holiday. Uh, and yeah, unfortunately, you had to kick off your uh, Thanksgiving, uh, or excuse me, your post-Thanksgiving Arizona Cardinal watching with uh, one of the worst performances in, in recent memory, certainly of, of the 2019 Cardinals. And, and like you mentioned, Blake, it was a, they did their best impersonation of Steve Wilkes and company from a year ago. And man, it's, it's been a while and you kind of forgot what this, what this felt like. Uh, you go from the near euphoria of beating uh, a one loss San Francisco team. That's clearly on a, a Super Bowl trajectory or competing for one uh and it looks like you can play with just about anybody to coming home two weeks later having 14 days to prepare for a rams team that was just humiliated on monday night football five days to prepare and it was not competitive from start to finish um you know outside of you know a couple field goal attempts in the first quarter forced field goal attempts in the first quarter by the cardinal defense um, incredibly disappointing, but I think that it still shows a barometer as to how far this team has to go to compete and to even get back to a, a 500 team. And I understand that they're in the most competitive division in football, but the Rams aren't, aren't going away. This is their core. They're not changing coaches. So even we can laugh at the Rams situation with golf and his contract, they've got, you know, They've, they've traded away countless first-round picks. They're a more talented team than Arizona right now. It's not close. And Sean McVay is 5-0 and against the Cardinals since he's taken over as the L.A. Rams head coach, and none of the five games have been competitive. And I think this, this game kind of underlines our fear, Blake, and we've teased it recently, but it hasn't come to fruition, and that is when Kyler Murray is not – Herculean is not a superstar player and he has an off game for whatever reason and he needs his teammates to pick him up and we're asking this of a 22 year old rookie quarterback making his 13th start if he is not the best player on the field for the Cardinals the Cardinals have no shot they cannot keep games close their defense is statistically now the worst in the NFL and offensively 
when Kyler is not on, whether he's hampered by an ankle injury or whatever, they can't develop any kind of rapport in the run game. The pass protection breaks down in lieu of six or seven sacks on Sunday. The receiving core can't separate. Guys drop passes. It's, it's very similar to what we saw a year ago. So that just sh- should rain home the, the point that unless you decide that you're going to make wholesale changes to support Kyler Murray, and, and we'll talk about those, you're wasting your time. And, you're, and your wheels are kind of spinning in motion, and you're going to end up wasting the best years of Kyler Murray's career and the early portion of that very valuable rookie contract. I don't, I don't want to seem like I'm overreacting to what we saw on Sunday, but it, the, they, the team has fallen so far from that three-game winning streak that, that got us so excited to the point now where, and Blake, you wrote an article about it. I'll let you speak on that here in a second, but I think significant wholesale changes have to be made and as as much as I don't want to see a, a ton of, you know, catastrophe or, or shakeup to, to what Kyler's been exposed to in terms of an infrastructure, because I, I think that's important. You know, we're going to see Baker Mayfield have his fourth or fifth head coach in a year and a half. And I think Kyler needs stability. I think Kingsbury will remain that. But he, they need a new GM. That's evident. And clearly... They're going to have to make a change, and I think that this is very much decided now that Vance Joseph is is on life support as a as a defensive coordinator for this franchise. Yeah, what was most interesting to me about the game wasn't that Vance Joseph was trending on Twitter; it was that it was Steve Kime who was trending on Twitter, and I think that's what happens when your offense struggles as well, where it shows that the team still needs help at receiver. The offensive line didn't play. Great. Um, some of the players who had stepped up had um, times where they took a step back. And it is going to be a, an interesting concern as far as for the team where you take a look at a team like the Rams that kind of got punched in the Bears in a similar way and didn't seem to really recover from it up until they you know played the Cardinals in this game to kind of get their edge back, which is unfortunate. But like you said, John, the three teams that they beat were uh, then the Cincinnati Bengals, the New York Giants, uh, and the Atlanta Falcons. Right now, two of those teams have the number one and number two picks in the draft. They're clearly the worst teams in football. And the Atlanta Falcons are three and nine. The only reason why they have a you know better rec- worse record overall than the Cardinals is that tie with the Detroit Lions, who, lo and behold, are tied with the Arizona Cardinals, at least right now at three, eight, and one, having a slightly weaker strength of schedule. And every week, the Cardinals just seem to be moving up and up and up in that order. And some fans, I think, are in favor of it. But for me, I would much rather have confidence in the team and the coach and the staff and the GM to be able to know for the future. And a lot of it is you didn't want to have a season like this again. And as a result, you're kind of looking at the upcoming schedule. You've got a tough Steelers team, a Browns team that's scrambling, trying to win out in the playoffs, and also... Uh, has a coach that's got much less job security than Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, Not to mention Steve Wilkes, at least, is probably going to be looking like he's on the hot seat for coming back next year um, with a lot of the run gap integrity issues they've had. And you close out the year with another game against the Seattle Seahawks, who are right now in first place in the NFC West, and again with the Rams. And if the Rams have something to play for, that's going to make it very difficult going on the road in that last game of the year. So. 
just looking ahead, John, when you talk about this team, the whole thing that we mentioned that we wanted to see was take a step forward. If you could get to six and 10, if you could be able to double the win total from last year, even if the defense was struggling, if you made enough forward progress, what we've seen instead is after a bye week when there was extra time to prepare, we saw the team take a huge step back on offense. Um, Murray was limited, said later in the week, with a hamstring injury, but it didn't seem to hamper him too much overall in the game. He did scramble in for a touchdown late in the fourth quarter. Uh, but I want to bring up a question to you, John, because this was kind of the one question I had was, do you think that the Cardinals at the end of the Niners game, where we heard there was yelling, pain, all of this coming out of the locker room, do you think that the Cardinals, either that that game broke them or that they just essentially gave up on the season after that game? And we probably could have seen a blowout like this coming just from that reaction from last week. No, I think that they that was an emotional loss. Um, I think the offense should still have been optimistic. I mean, they, they played the Niners incredibly tough. They ran the ball effectively. I'm pulling up the numbers again. They ran for over 135 yards. They had the lead with minutes remaining. Kyler Murray was phenomenal. You know, the, the defense played horrific, but they played poorly all season. Um, so I don't know why that would have anything in conjunction with what we saw against the Rams. I, I I just I think that the Rams are a bad matchup for the Cardinals in the sense that, and I tweeted this out, Cardinals have to score early on possessions in the game so they're not forced to play from behind because when they're forced to play from behind with a masterful defensive coordinator like Wade Phillips or to a lesser extent what we saw Todd Bowles do to Kyler against Tampa, and I know that was very much a back and forth affair, but if the, if the Cardinals fall to double digits in terms of the deficit in the game early, defensive coordinators, and I love Kyler, he's a baby in the league. He has not seen every exotic blitz package. He's going to be under duress. The Cardinals' offensive line, while they've probably overachieved to some extent, is still incredibly fragile, especially at right tackle. Justin Pugh was eaten alive against Aaron Donald. He's wreaked havoc against the Cardinals historically over the year. The Cardinals have probably made his defensive player of the year case year in and year out based on his two games against them. Um, and then they, they dominated time of possession. They dominated the lines of scrimmage. Look at the two areas where we would probably say coming into the season where they, the weakest at is probably offensive and defensive line, and that's where the Rams really asserted themselves. They put together long, methodical drives. They broke the Cardinals' spirit on third down like we've seen so many times before. And then offensively, they they lost their ability to have the big play, and, and Wade Phillips did a, a master, masterful job in taking that away. Um, and Kyler wasn't... There was no plays whatsoever from the team. Fitzgerald, I think, had six catches for 53 yards, and Charles Clay was after that 30, but you got nothing out of Christian Kirk, Andy Isabella, the other wide receivers who were there. Kyler was bottled up on the ground along with Kenyon Drake. Uh, David Johnson had a better... Uh, more efficient day rushing than Kenyon Drake did. He got way less carries. It was a stinker that the team put up. And what I think you and I can talk about here is the play that seems to sum it all up is when Robert Woods was taking on a simple screen, which was just should have been tackled well short of the line to gain. The Cardinals have been getting eaten alive by these swing and screen passes where there's just no one in the area. There'd be two defenders on the one side. The yep. guy would be open. And instead, he reverses field, turns around. Chandler Jones, at least, when you watch the replay, it's like 
he wasn't probably going at full tilt. Maybe he thought there was someone had it. Maybe it was just one of those, those games at least. But Patrick Peterson essentially was blocked into Jared Goff. And it's like everyone could see uh, he didn't have to blow up Goff. He might have gotten penalized if he did. But he just essentially allowed like a 210 uh, quarterback to essentially kind of bully him a bit down the field rather than making the tackle and turned into a huge gain off of something that shouldn't have been. And it's that lack of attention to detail, the lack of desire. It has me at least wondering, John, if did the team potentially give up on Vance Joseph and just come in flat after the Mariners game when he called that blitz, they had the game at least either in hand or were heading to overtime. And then it was just blown. That was it. It was the one thing you couldn't do, let up a touchdown where they just are checked out essentially as far as the season on the defensive side. Uh, maybe it's bled over to the offense. And that's the thing that's worse because when we saw that happen last year, there were definitely heads that rolled. And that was the one thing that I, I guess you and I can say, we didn't really see that coming this year. We thought that it was going to be maybe some concern. Maybe if things didn't improve, you would go into next year. But it feels like that this things are falling apart at the seams now. And I'm very curious if the Cardinals will be able to bounce back next week. But it, it's a tougher opponent and maybe even a tougher team than they played this week. And that's... It's concerning, and I, I feel sorry most of all for the fans who had to sit through that home game and who left halfway through the third quarter when the game was yep. already over and got uh, 350 passing yards just in the first half alone. It was a disappointment, I, and I, I think I, I think I mentioned this to you, John, but it felt like if, because the Cardinals kept Vance Joseph, it concerned me. I did pick against the cards in this game. I didn't want to, but I was so concerned that until Vance was basically – moved on and let go that the Cardinals would not be able to win a game for the rest of the year with the schedule that they were given. Obviously, even, though it, even though, even though it favors them getting at least one more win because they're not going to be favored in any of the games. And because of that, I just wondered if it was going to wear on them so much that eventually when you're playing teams that have something to lose and, you know, not essentially something to lose and you're playing with nothing to lose sometimes that does work. We've seen that with the Miami Dolphins, but it just feels like there's just not a lot of life in this team on that defensive side, whether that's Peterson. And the lasting image that most fans are going to have is of Michael Kime and, excuse me, Michael and Steve, excuse me, and put them two together, uh, sitting in that press box just with this look of, oh my word, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what are we going to do expression that was on their face. What, what are your thoughts on that, John, and how it pertains to Steve Kime in particular? Because after spending time out of the, you know, fire Kime talk, he's jumped right back in it all of a sudden. Yeah, that's that's certainly the everybody's surpassed. If you've had any reservations about Vance Joseph, you've kind of leapfrogged that, and it's an assumption now that he's going to be let go. And I think if if they continue on this, you know projection to have the 32nd ranked defense at the end of the year, he's going to get fired. That's I think it goes I think without saying gone. now. Like it, it feels like he's already maybe. Gone. Yeah. I just, there's four games left and I think if yeah. they put up and I don't think it's going to happen, I don't think it's going to improve, but it, I mean, there's a lot can change and we've seen Michael Bidwell. Uh, I, I, I love, I like a lot of what he does, but he's reactionary. If they play well, you saw the Arizona Cardinals were bad team. In uh, 2010, or excuse, excuse me, 2011, um, but they won a bunch of games at the end of the season um, with bad quarterback play and a bad offense, and Ken Wisenhunt got to keep his job, and it was a mistake, but Michael Bidwell was reactionary, and they let him have one more year, and it was a disaster. Yeah, but it was a 4-0 start, and then it turned Patrick Peterson returned a bunch of punts at the end of 2011, 
and they won a bunch of flute games, and they allowed him to keep his job when you couldn't just take a holistic look at the team and we're like, this is a disaster. I think I think something similar could happen. But I also here's what I also think. I, I do think he's going to get fired. I don't think they're going to keep him. Um, I, but I, I, I think they're going to have a really tough time filling that spot. Um, and I think they're, like you mentioned, Blake, they're going to have to get really creative on, on how they do that. Um, and the next person that gets the job is going to get a long leash a la Kingsbury offensively. But I, I'm looking at the box score of the game, and I get it. The box score is not always indicative of what happened on the field. You have to watch the game, you know, all four quarters to kind of really get that sense. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to read off some players in this game that, that really kind of sum up what I think is probably the biggest lapse of talent defensively that the Cardinals have had, I think, in 20 years. I, I think this is their worst defense statistically, clearly. But let me, I'm going to read off some of these names, okay? So, Zach Creer, or Zach Kerr, I'm sorry, he's not a starting caliber player. He's probably not worthy of a roster spot. Chris, Chris Banjo, Chris Banjo, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, he's not worthy of a roster spot, right? Joe Walker is not an NFL caliber inside linebacker, clearly not a starter. Tremaine Brock was just cut from the team. I know his PFF grade was fine, but he was just cut from the team. The Niners didn't want him. Their secondary was terrible. They got rid of him, and, he, and they've been much better. They're starting a fifth-round supplemental safety who's a nice player, but he was a, he was a fifth-round supplemental pick, and he's a starter right now. I'm looking at Cassius Marsh was let go by the Niners. He's a key player now for this team. Rodney Gunter, Gunter couldn't get a contract and had to go back to the Cardinals and Steve Kime for a one-year deal. Corey Peters is their best defensive player in their front seven outside of Chandler Jones. He's a 31-year-old nose tackle. Mm-hmm. That, that, it just go, and then, of course, Buda and Byron Murphy, who we love, were second-round picks, but they play in the secondary. They don't impact the line of scrimmage. And then Jordan Hicks who's a, a quality inside linebacker, but that's it. I mean, like, I, I think people just need to take a step back. I get it. Vance Joseph has not done a good job. I will not make excuses for him any longer. He, he puts, you know, you, you, like you just yeah, mentioned, yeah, Blake, you can I, watch. I hate, to say, I hate to say that I was right, and I hated it, <laughs> but a couple weeks ago. Two for like, two, two years in a row, you've called for the firing of, of coordinators and head coaches. I, I was going to say. I, I pumped the brakes. I'm, I'm never Mr. Fire Guy. But you, you were absolutely correct. He, he, you can double down. He, he has not done a good job. What I will tell you, though, is I'm going to go back to two weeks ago against San Francisco when they were terrible. Michael Dogby is a seventh-round pick and was playing, and Chris Jones is a practice squad player. Something called Dar- Darrell Daniels was playing, and Kevin Peterson, Charles Washington. Who are these players? These are not NFL caliber players that should be playing. They do not have quality NFL defensive talent. The players that they did take that they thought were going to be impact defenders cannot play because they're complete liabilities. A la Hassan Reddick played one snap and gave a gave up a touchdown. It was so awful. Was it was that that is that is where the defense is. It's a combination. I think the Vance Joseph is not an NFL caliber DC right now. That's clear. But I think two things can be true. The Cardinals' personnel defensively is by far. I watched the Redskins play Carolina. Say what you want about them. They're so poorly run. They've got an egregious owner. Their GM is a nightmare. 
Their defensive personnel would wipe the floor with Arizona's defensive personnel. Go yeah. look at the Redskins' front seven and tell me you wouldn't trade, even Chandler Jones, who's approaching 30, you wouldn't trade him for a package of Jonathan Allen and Montez Sweat and Ryan Kerrigan and Duran Payne, guys who are high-caliber players coming out of Alabama. Landon Collins is on that defense. You know, I, I, that's all I'm saying. The Cardinals, their defensive line is not practice squad level quality. They like yeah, that is that it's, it's bare bones, and that's what happens when you continually either ignore the defensive line or you miss completely, like like um, like Kim Dietschy and and uh, Philon that they had to cut from from Los Angeles. So. Yeah, it's a, that was some of what we had talked about. Yeah, I, I sometimes look at those players. Those are terrible players. They shouldn't be on the team. It, it's what happens, I think, when you do end up missing not just on the high picks where we're talking about the Kandichis and the Brandon Williams, but when you miss on the depth players as well, and you're forced to suddenly go back to the depth players. Uh, Hassan Reddick, at least, is a perfect example of he was drafted, moved out of position. They're finally moving him back into edge rusher which is not really a great spot. He did not play there well as a rookie. And even in a 4-3, when he was in what was considered a more natural position, it was just a overall poor fit where the player in and of himself was just very sorely misdiagnosed from the start. And the issue, of course, that we see is still trying to make it work. Like a good example of this here would be Patrick Peterson, something we've talked about since 2018 when the trade rumors went out. We've talked about Patrick Peterson. And it's obvious in hindsight, uh, we even had the radio host we're going over yesterday and today saying, hey, like, could, could you get a second for him? And someone's like, like, could, could you? maybe, maybe he's got one year left on his deal, but you'd have to pay him again. Would it be, uh, would it be like a clowny deal for a third? It would be, uh, it would be a disastrous type of collapse, at least to look at what, and this is something that, you know, hindsight maybe is 2020 in a case, but it just seems like it's a emotionally run decision. And part of why I hang a lot of this season, maybe not on Steve Kime as much as I would hang it on Michael Bidwell is because Bidwell at least saw he had a chance to be able to move and get essentially a fresh start. And I believe that he and Steve misdiagnosed their head coaches last time, but Michael was the one who misdiagnosed that Steve Kime is the man who needs to stay here, be in charge of riding the ship, bringing in these different players. And as we're seeing now how it plays out, now there's going to be at least a lot of questions coming up because Michael does keep Steve, then it's going to be such a hoopla and outroar. There's going to be all sorts of fans up in arms. And that's part of why I think that the music is just too loud right now to be able to bring him back, especially if the Cardinals lose out. Now, we can take a look at their upcoming schedule. But right now, everything that we are seeing, John, at least, is the Cardinals are in the midst of having a effective offensive head coach. Uh, we haven't seen at least as far as, you know, if there's clutch games or big things to win because the team hasn't even been able to get into those situations yet. You're seeing a defunct, often, uh, defunct defensive head coach hiring, and you're seeing a lack of talent on the team while the Cardinals have about four years or so left of a Kyler Murray contract and a competitive quarterback. And what we've seen, I think, is the quality of what Kingsbury and Kyler brought to the table showed that the Cardinals were readier to win now than we thought as far as those two. And the rest of the team is so not up to par. It really shone and cast a light on Kime for all of a sudden, hey, the expectations have been raised. You've not put together a team that's ready. And I think that's what's led to a lot of fans right now saying that this is 
you know, potentially the final straw. What I wanted to at least ask you is, uh, as far as with the Cardinals in this decision, do you think it's a done deal that Kime should say? Do you believe that there's any type of, I don't know if you want to even say like redemption or turnaround, because to me, this feels like um, it's more of a three strikes and you're out. But if you count the 2016 and 2017 seasons, this would be kind of like your fourth strike. I don't know if Kime has nine lives at least, but it feels like to me that this is more well and beyond what we've seen for the Cardinals. Or do you think that there's a chance that we may be sitting here next year in a similar spot talking and wondering why they weren't, didn't fire Steve Kime last year? I, I still think there's a chance he returns. I, I honestly do. I think that Michael Bidwell is loyal to a fault. And I also think that he, maybe not to an extent with Kyler because Kyler's clearly proven himself, but man, I just, I, I think there's some concern about would another GM show faith in Kingsbury? I, I would hope so. Um, but at the same time, I, I honestly think that if, now, if they have multiple performances like they just had, that that will be fresh in Michael's mind. But if they finish the year one and three, let's say they end this this month, we've got four games left, and they win one of them, but they're competitive and they get after it, um, and a couple of the younger players have nice games, I think there's still a chance he comes back. Um, and they talk about, loading up and free agency and they say all the right things at the press conference and for the you know second consecutive off season Michael Bidwell shows support for him in that press conference. I think it's 50 50. I know that I, I don't want that to be the case. So I don't want people, you know, blowing me up and saying that's a mistake. You're an idiot. Like I don't clearly like they need to fire him. They need to move on. I would probably just in an effort, effort to, and I, I know you, you probably maybe feel differently, Blake, but in an effort to, to keep some consistency with Kingsbury, I would try to promote from within just to get a fresh perspective. And it worked with Kime and Rod Graves back in 2013. Now, Kime faded fast. The fall from grace was hard, but he did have a phenomenal three-year stretch, and he made all of those moves alongside Arians. And I think you if you get you increase the analytics department and their stance. Clearly that helped in this draft. You've got a fresh perspective on, you know, free agency and, and maybe you, you bring in a couple new consultants. You could kind of make it a team effort, um, which I think is, is healthy anyway. Um, but I think you run the risk of, if you begin to bring in outside voices and people who are maybe not sold on Kingsbury um, and you're, you're talking about skewing with, with Kyler's, you know, offense and, and anything and everything. I, I think you want to keep the offense as, as much as of the same. And I think you will because Kingsbury will be back as you can. And then you just bring somebody in that's just going to say, like, I'm going to get us better p- players point blank. Um, Kingsbury's got the right philosophy offensively. I believe he can win games. Um, we're going to get a new defensive coordinator in here that's going to help mold young players. And that's what it should really be. Can we hire a GM? that can help Kingsbury find a coordinator that can elevate young players like Kingsbury's doing offensively, um, probably hopefully from the college ranks. And then you're going to give Kingsbury, the new DC and the new GM, a bunch of freedom, a bunch of slack, a bunch of leeway, like they did in San Francisco. They gave their defensive coordinator a couple extra years. Last year, everybody wanted him fired in San Francisco. This year, they have one of the best defenses in the NFL and he's a head coaching candidate. 
because they were patient. Um, but he hadn't already flamed out as a DC and a head coach, a la Vance Joseph. But back to back to Kime, um, I do think it's 50-50. I think these last couple games are telling. Um, but I, I do think that we're going to see, assuming Kyler is not hurt. If Kyler's hurt, then that's a different story. But if Kyler's fine, I think they've got a puncher's chance against both Pittsburgh and, and Cleveland. Pittsburgh wins ugly. They don't blow people out. I could see the Cardinals scoring enough points to potentially win that game and just kind of outlasting them like they've done so many other times. And again, you're, it's, the four, it's a fourth round, you know, it's our fourth string quarterback. And then Cleveland has not been playing well. But then you end the season with a couple of juggernauts that have embarrassed you historically. And that could leave a bad taste in your mouth in route to going 0-6 in the division and being so far behind the other three teams that it's evident that you're going, continuing to go in the wrong direction for, right. for this team. Um, so I, um, I, don't, I don't think it's any kind of sure thing. I think the only thing that's very much a sure thing is we're probably going to have a new D.C. But um, I'm, a month ago, if you would have asked me this, I would have said no chance. But I do think it's 50-50 now. Right, and I think it's because the defense has gotten worse, not better. And what what Vance needed to do, and I, I think most people would, you and I at least even agreed, was you needed to follow up the Giants game with another game in a row like that and be able to stack good defensive performances. That's something that we have we did not see that with Steve Wilkes at all last year. They beat the Niners and then would basically get blown out. They had a comeback against the Niners, lost the game. They had a game against the Packers that was an impressive win. Uh, Steve Wilkes went off was, you know, yelling victory Monday, and they were celebrating in the locker room for their first win in weeks. And then they went and put up a 17-13 loss stinker where they only scored three points on a bad Lions team. And at that point, you were like, yep, you just you felt and knew that he was done. The team got blown out the next week by uh, the St. Louis Rams again, at least. And uh, I think it was even Seth Cox, at least, has talked a few about this. But Cardinals have been outscored now 164 to 32. That was under Arians. That was under um, Mike. That was under Mike McCoy and Byron Leftwich. Uh, that was also even under uh, all three of their defensive coordinators, whether it was Betchers, whether it was with Wilkes defense, or even now with Vance Joseph. The Rams are just, for whatever reason, right now just. Maybe this will have to be some film watching. It's just it's been a bad matchup for Arizona, regardless whether they're either too aggressive or they just get punched in the face. It just seems to be some sort of mental block for the team. And uh, what's unfortunate, at least to me, is that you know you look at with Michael Bidwell kind of using Steve Kimes' beginning start to justify him. If the Cardinals lose out this season, Kimes' record will be 55, 55 and one as the GM. Which means that he'll have gone essentially from starting 34 and 14 to ending at 500. Wow. That, that is really crazy because it just shows how drastically they've fallen off because it's only been a few seasons. Like he's been 21, 37, and two ever since uh, the last day that the Cardinals were over 500 with their record. And uh, what we've talked about a lot, honestly, John, is that for all of the loyalty and the stuff that Michael Bidwell can have, a lot of what we have, like we, we know that Steve Kime at least is considered at least a friend of his. And that's why I think it's going to be a difficult decision, but we're reaching the point now where, like, like we said, the decisions that Kime has made, everything has gone wrong from like one aspect to the other. And it's been getting worse for each step. You're seeing, Hey, we're going to keep Peterson. We're going to go ahead and, um, 
Uh, we're going to go and play these players. We have this guy. We made some of those trades. Kenyon Drake, at least right now, after that first game, hasn't looked like he's been a true impact player, which will be interesting because that turns into another need for the Cardinals. Then you're you're going to end up being kind of scratching your head as to what isn't a need going into next year. But I think it's all gets summed up by the second big news that was a huge negative for the Cardinals this week. You said, like, hey, I'm two for two for – uh, defensive, I guess, uh, firings, at least over the years. I almost said, well, maybe I should go ahead and start taking my talents to Vegas. And then I realized, well, there was an Arizona Cardinal this week who did take that to Vegas. Josh Shaw, a defensive back on IR, was actually outed for gambling. And um, the joke that went around was he probably bet against his own team. And turns out that actually was the case. He bet on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the second half, not only to beat the Cardinals, but also to cover the spread that they had there. And uh, essentially, the Buccaneers won the game. They didn't end up covering it, however. So he ended up losing money on his bet. So it's almost like one of the most fitting things of, hey, guys, this is how bad the Arizona Cardinals season has been for all of the excitement of Kyler Murray, for all of the intrigue with Cliff Kingsbury, for all of what we've talked about, the offensive improvement. Kind of can get summed up with a defensive player getting caught gambling against his own team and betting against his own defense. John, what in the world are we to make of that? I mean, outside of like, I think you even mentioned and said that, hey, it was a smart bet on his part. Getting caught was what was not smart about it. Yeah, if you can't, if you can't win on the field, you might as well win off of it, uh, was the joke I made. But, you know, he's a an IR practice squad player and he, you know, on a defense that's historically bad. I mean, I think it just, it's kind of rubbing salt into the wound. I mean, you, I, I, I don't think much of it, but you add this into the, the, the continued off-field embarrassment that this franchise has, you know, inflicted onto itself. I was going to say endured, but they, a lot of this is brought on. The situation with Kime, the other uh, executive with his DUI. Uh, Ron, know, Ron Miniger, Mark Ron Miniger, the domestic yeah. violence issue with, Darius Philon, or not domestic, but he had a incident outside a strip club, I think, with a gun. Um, it's just like one thing after another. You've you've become more known for outside of Kyler, which that's why we all love him so much, is because he brings a level of legitimacy to this franchise um, that's otherwise lacking. And they very much returned to their punchline ways. If you're a young fan of this franchise, this was very much the norm for so many years, for really so many decades, um, little things like this. Now, do I think it's a big deal? No. Do I think players, I mean, like, it's not a great look. I don't, I don't have a problem with players betting. Um, and I think that'll change over time, but I think it's just, it's salt in the wound with the franchise right now. That's can't do anything right. Seemingly that's so inept and that a player would think so little of his own team and really his own defense uh, to bet against them, I just—it's just ironic. I don't think it—it's—it's it's necessarily an indictment, other than what we already know, right? And uh, so the question that I think that everyone has is, where do we go from here? I have people who are already asking me about potential future GM candidates. People who are asking about like what's going to happen with the draft. There, uh, I did a quick look at least just to sum up that we originally were thinking that it was going to be a close Cardinals loss. Maybe we'd talk a bit more of some of that draft, see what was going on, but. After such a huge defeat like that, it was just, it was rough. So I decided to take a look at uh, the upcoming teams the Cardinals were playing, their schedule, obviously, we've mentioned that already. What's really interesting to me is that all of the other teams uh, outside of the Cardinals are playing teams that are picking ahead in the draft of them or teams that at least are close in the wins total that have a chance to lose. So 
Uh, just to run this down, at least the Bengals upcoming play the Browns, who've been really struggling. The Bengals are coming off of a win. The Patriots, the Dolphins, who've been, uh, you know, won three games or so, and then the Browns again. So you're talking at least about those are three teams that are picking in the top five that you're playing, essentially, along right. with the Browns, who've been hapless. The Giants right now have two wins. They're going to be in a fascinating decision, at least, to make because uh, they're right now tied their boat to a quarterback in Daniel Jones, who's, I believe, fumbled the ball. I want to say between the interceptions and his fumbles, it's like 20 fumbles or so and six interceptions. And it's like he, he essentially is turning the ball over at least two to three times per game at one of the highest rates that we have seen, which is crazy. They've got a decision to make. They also are potentially looking at just taking a guy like a Chase Young that's there, but they play the Eagles team that's been strong, the Dolphins and the Redskins before the Eagles. So there's chances for them to be able to pick up another win or two. The uh, Dolphins themselves, they play the Jets, they play the Giants themselves, they also play the Bengals and what people have called the Tank Bowl. Doesn't look like that anymore. And then they have the Patriots to round out the season. And then the two teams picking in front of Arizona, the Falcons have been starting to at least play a bit better for the most part. Matt Ryan's been banged up, but they play a Panthers team that just fired their head coach. They have the Niners, the Jaguars, and then the Buccaneers, who also picked up, I believe, another uh, I believe another win this last week, or at least a, a close game uh, a win the week before. The Lions have probably the tougher schedule than the Cardinals, at least on paper. They have the Vikings, Bucks, Broncos, and the Packers. So right now what's interesting, John, is that the Cardinals are picking seventh. When you look at those upcoming schedules and think that one or two of those teams may win up, we could be talking about a top five pick for the team, which would be ludicrous because – Oh, I think, they're they're, I think they'll get, definitely get one. I think they're going to be in the top And five. that's what's crazy is that when you're talking about that two years in a row, I did some research on that last year for teams that essentially kept their general manager after getting multiple top five picks or the number one pick. It just doesn't happen. If you get multiple top five picks, the only exception that we really even saw was – uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars, I believe, was the only team that got there. And they immediately followed it up a season later with a 13-3 and season, which seemed to buy them quite a bit of time. But it is brutal to think about the fact that the Cards are in a situation where I have fans who are talking to me saying, hey, like, do you think they have a shot at Chase Young? And I'm like, no, they're going to – Chase Young is going to go in the top two picks. They don't have – and then I look at the numbers and say, gosh, like, they – almost kind of do have a slight shot, and that's scary to think about. You never know with Gettleman. He could, they could pass on him. Well, I don't, I don't know if he'd ever pass on any defensive lineman, at least. But, gosh, like it's, it's the reason why is because some fans are getting excited about it. For me, I don't see it as a thing to get excited about because what you want is for the Cardinals to take a step forward versus be stuck in this perpetual losing cycle because that's going to weigh on Murray. That will weigh on Kingsbury. And it's also going to burn through a few of these windows that you're talking about of some of their talented players. You've already seen David Johnson's window go away. Um, we've seen Patrick Peterson's window now apparently has gone away. You don't want that to be the case for a guy like a Chandler Jones. And that's why I've called my shot and I said that I do believe that Steve Kime, the music has gotten too loud where he is going to have to go. And if he doesn't, then it's going to be a huge amount of uproar. A lot of things will happen. And then I think it'll be more of one of those quietly, like after the draft is done in the middle of the off season, kind of quiet firing like we saw from this year from the Texans or even from the Jets a little bit after the draft is completed. Um, I, I agree with you at least that the Cardinals could just simply move to a guy who's internal. So let's, let's talk about this because I have an article on this on Revenge of the Birds dropping tomorrow. It gets a bit more in detail on some of the game theory, but it looks at the three doors the Cardinals have. The first one is if you do keep Steve Kime, and I put together a little defense of it where 
a lot of the moves that they would have to make would be to find a tackle, pay defense in free agency, draft a playmaker potentially, or find one for Kyler. A lot of those moves are ones that you don't necessarily need to have a brand new change of direction for. Uh, you could just say that you could plug in another GM who could see these are the moves that have to be made. And maybe that's the case where you can see some improvement. The second option, of course, is to just say that Steve Kahn, everything that he's done, thank you for what you did, Steve. It's been overdue, at least. We're letting you go. Moved someone internal, like you said, with an Adrian Wilson. You can know and feel comfortable that they helped hire Kingsbury. They know him. You're not going to be losing too much. The downside, obviously, is you may not be able to improve as much if you have an outside perspective. Maybe you'd have to hire someone in addition to them. And the final option that I argued for was looking at if you really want to um, build up whatever you have from now, realizing that right now you've got essentially your foundation is set. If you want to go and find someone who's going to be maybe a superstar caliber GM who can identify talent, you probably don't have that guy in the organization. You should go outside and find it. And I think that that's where a lot of fans are starting to talk about who could that person potentially be if they fire Steve Kine. So, John, let's let's have you bring you back into some of this here. Uh, do you have any of those favorites that you would pick? And if it was to be within or without the organization, what right now at this point in time in December would be your move you would make? Let's say that, you know, Michael Bidwell comes to you, calls you up. John, I got to make a move. What do you recommend? What would you say to him? Man, I get to pick because, it, like, I know what Michael Bidwell is going to do. He's going to hire from internally because that's what he's done the last two times. He did that with Rod Graves, and he did that with Steve Keim. Um, So I, I do not think that they're going to go outside of the organization. Um, I would do the same because of the unique situation with Kingsbury. I would get somebody in-house that, you know, impresses you in the interview, puts together a plan, and I think just you need a new voice at the top. Um, but I, I, the Cardinals have figured out two thirds of this. They got the coach. We think when they got the quarterback, really, I just mentioned Washington not too long ago. I mean, Bruce Allen is a terrible GM, but he's found capable talent. Like the Cardinals are striking out. They had a good draft this year. Right. The Cardinals are striking out at a ridiculous rate, specifically in the first round. They're over outside of Murray in the first round since 2013. And, and you think about that, it's like, yeah, so can they find... 2012, even. 2012, the first round. Yeah, Michael Floyd. Michael Floyd, yep, that still... Can they find a GM? Can, like, just by sheer luck, any of these guys internally can probably go, like, 300, bat 300, right? And I know that's not the way you should think about this, but that's kind of what I'm using is, like, a generality. They've got the quarterback and the head, and the head coach, you think. I would... This is what I would do. I, I would go with... Quentin Harris, I would promote him. He's the director of player personnel. I, I like Adrian Wilson. If you want to bump him up another title, do go ahead. I just don't think he's ready. Uh, I would. He's he's been with the Cardinals for twelve seasons in their scouting department. He was promoted in last year. They had a really nice off season in terms of personnel for the most part. Um, and he he's been a, a long time scout. Pro personnel director before the team's per- now he's just personnel director. That's what he does, and he had more of an increased role last off season. Um, word is he's very heavy on analytics. He's a young guy, clearly. So uh, you just roll the dice and you say, okay, we we believe in your vision, assuming he can he can impress you, right? And then what I would do is I would I would try to get him 
not a crutch, but I would try to find an experienced, longtime NFL GM to come in as kind of a mentor, resource, somebody like a Reggie McKenzie that you could bring in, formerly the Oakland Raiders, who put together some nice drafts, get him in as a as a you know special assistant to the GM, you know, assistant to GM, something like that. Reggie's still young, he's fifty-six years old, he's on the West Coast, um, and he's the director of senior personnel for the Dolphins. So you have to woo him away. I, I honestly thought he was a free agent, but somebody like that it doesn't have to be Reggie McKenzie. And then I would pair those two up. So you've got the best of both worlds. You've got the young, heavy analytics guy who's got a fresh vision, who knows today's players and clearly had positive influence on last year's offseason. And you've got the heavy analytics people doing their thing. And then you bring in a savvy um, general manager who's done it before, who can warn you of specific trepidations or issues that, you could, that could arise in a draft in free agency, get a cap guy. Um, that's what I would do. Um, that way, at the end of the day, Quentin Harris can come out and toot the horn of Kingsbury because he was there. He's seen him up close. He knows, and clearly you don't need to sell people right now on Kyler Murray, but just you're talking about the infrastructure staying as steady as it can in support of those two individuals. Blow up everything else. Do whatever you need to do. I was, I'll say this all the time. I, I would have traded Patrick Peterson. I, I, I feel like any player right now to me, and I, I, I love Byron Murphy. I love Buda Baker. I would have no qualms moving any said player outside of Kyler Murray because I said this before the draft. This is a replacement level roster or just above that outside of a couple, a couple pieces. You cannot romanticize any current player. Whatever you think is going to help fulfill your vision, get you better, support Kingsbury's philosophy offensively, you do that. Because clearly, they scraped the bottom of the barrel offensively this year, and they've exceeded expectations with the same pieces that they had a year ago outside of Murray, and you did that cap-strapped. And I said this a while ago, you're going to be able to, to probably enter the top 12 offensively next year, assuming that everybody takes the next step. You add a couple additional pieces. Now it becomes you got to do the same thing defensively. You got to strip it down, bring in some quality free agents, find the J.R. Sweezy on defense, as, as cliche as that sounds. Find the Max Williams on defense and free agency. Then sprinkle in a couple of high picks, you know, second, third round, maybe your first overall pick in, in the first round, your fifth overall, maybe take an edge rusher or defensive tackle, whatever. And you've got to build up that unit and support the defensive coordinator and their vision. So it's a holistic approach. It's not just, oh, we're going to go out and get XGM and they're going to fix all of our problems. The Cardinals have an infrastructure um, of chaos right now. General managers, executives, extreme DUIs, poor um, reputation among the league. We had Benjamin Albright on the podcast a couple weeks ago saying you're going to have to overpay for any defensive free agent because they're not going to want to come play there. You're going to have to overcome probably a lot of naysayers like with Kingsbury, whomever you bring in as a defensive coordinator, that's going to be scraping the bottom of the barrel. And then you hope to a lesser extent, you get somebody like a Brian Flores. I know he's a head coach. 
that earns the player's respects and improves throughout the duration of the season. And that was really always my hope with Vance McDonald. I said early, I said, they're going to be bad. They're going to struggle, whatever. But I said, let's see how they look in late October, early November, because I think, you know, I was, you know, super... Um, I was. Idea. You wanted to. You wanted to be optimistic, and you assume that over time, that is. Yeah, I was ignorant. I thought with the additions of Peterson coming back, and I thought they could do some good things with Reddick. All of that's blown up in our faces, and now we're at the point where it's you have to take the same approach you did to the defense, or to, excuse me, to the offense a year ago. Now with the defense. Yeah, and you'll probably have to take it to some degree. With I don't know if you have to take it to the entire degree of the scouting department. I mean. You look at the free agency that the Cardinals did and how that turned out with guys like Brock, Suggs, Alford, a lot of those big key signings that were touted. Even Brooks Reed was a guy signed on the first or second day of free agency. And none of them have turned out well. What did turn out at least surprisingly well were the additions of, I was going to say, we, we haven't even talked about Marcus Gilbert there and how much of a disaster that deal turned out to be. But you look at the, uh, the timeline of events this is by where I think some people are wondering, at least, if there is going to be a, a change. If, like you said, John, if it's almost kind of like writing on the wall, we saw free agency take place. We had the draft happen. There was the entire Murray mania that went on. And then after the draft, we saw Steve Kimes' right-hand man, uh, Terry McDonough, was demoted from his place. You saw Quentin Harris and Adrian Wilson both promoted to a higher place. We also heard some of Wilson being very actively involved in the hiring of Kingsbury. And then you end up seeing, at least in that post-free agency kind of area, the additions of guys like Max Williams. You saw the acquisition of Justin Murray. You also were able to see, you know, uh, maybe even the trade for a guy like a Kay, uh, what was gonna say, Kenyon Drake. All of the moves that they've made essentially from after free agency through the draft and through those other aspects outside of, I think you can argue the Kevin White and Michael Crabtree deals, the Crabtree deal being just kind of a bit baffling as far as that one. And you've got the same label as Tremaine Brock being cut after this game, which we, I don't think, I think we mentioned earlier of not being a great fit. The moves weren't bad. You, you found a guy in Max Williams who wanted to re-sign. You found a guy in Justin Murray who was probably an upgrade at swing tackle nonetheless, has had some good games. And so and as you kind of wonder, is potentially the influence that Harris and Wilson are already making in their new role making a bit of a difference enough already where it's going to be a easier transition? I, I'm not saying that they're going to be for sure like, you know, a, you know immediately like, you know, elite GM, and suddenly we're going to be talking about it with kind time signs and all of the other things with those two. But uh, we've seen at least the trend of going from kind time to not having a planet quarterback in desperation kind. To me, this almost seems like it's kind of the, uh, I guess you could say a resignation kind, is I think the term that we're going to be using now. And I love that. Looking, you're going to be looking to the future one way or another. So as far as what I would do, I would take a look. And uh, I've got, as I said, like the article on that tomorrow will be out. What I would at least look at is keeping guys in place like your Adrian Wilson, like even your Quentin Harris. I don't think you have to totally go and clean house, but I think what you do need is to have a fresh infusion of people who can scout and identify talent because you are not hitting on the first round picks. And even if you do, there's just not enough depth that's being gained by the team, um, even with the new analytics that they've had. So 
The names I know a lot of people floated out were names like Ed Dodds, who's with the Colts. There's obviously going to be some big, big names like Nick Casario or even Will McClay, who's kind of the pseudo-GM over with the Cowboys, with Jerry Jones being obviously the head honcho there. Um, there's some other guys, at least, like Mike, I think, Borgonzi in Kansas City, Elliot Wolf, who's been mentioned at least. He was even, I think, tied earlier to the Arizona Cardinals where there was interest in bringing a young guy like him. He's only about 38 years old. The interesting name that some have brought up was Daniel Jeremiah of the NFL Network. I feel like he's he's scouted for the Browns, Eagles, and Ravens. I feel like he's almost waiting for the Chargers job to open with the connections that he has there. Potentially, um, that would be a you know, a, a, I guess not to say home run, but it would be one that fans would be familiar with. And also, unlike many scouts, has a proven track record of evaluating talent overall. And you already know that he's a fan of what Kyler Murray has done. It might be the question of how, if you can sell him on Kingsbury or not. So those are all different options that you have. I, I think at the end of the day, though, the big question that has to be brought up, John, that I'll bring up to you now is, do you think that the issue ultimately comes down to not just Steve Kime, but Michael Bidwell? And that's where the Cardinals' best efforts are having to go internal just because they're not going to be able to get. And whether that's because of – whether that's just – maybe it's a core thing. Maybe it's something that's stuck with the Bidwells. I, I don't know if he's – you know, some people have said maybe he has a reputation as a, a micromanager. We know he's heavily involved in the organization. We even saw with Arians and with Kime that there was – uh, kind of those three were the ones moving a lot. He's more involved than many owners in many sports. I wonder if that's going to be an issue. And if it does turn into a case where you look at a team like the Phoenix Suns, a lot of Valley people have talked about how the Suns haven't really made any sort of turnaround up until they did fire their last GM. And they moved to a guy in James Jones who was fully trusted, despite not necessarily having hardly any experience and he has made some savvy moves to be able to turn the team around and be at least a competitive basketball team in the last few years where the owner has been kind of not having to interfere but i guess you could say kept at bay and i wonder do you think that that's the case with bidwell and if so could that mean that maybe adrian wilson if he does get promoted even if he isn't ready maybe because of being able to rein in some of bidwell could that make him potentially the right choice yeah, I think the Cardinals always struggle with their perception because, I, I, like, this is sounds cruel to say, but they're they so many times in these instances where they're making head coaching hires or defensive coordinator, GM, whatever, they're not nationally relevant, and they don't have a ton to offer. We love the area, we love the team, um, because that's you know what's built into our infrastructure, our DNA. They are not well-respected nationally. They've never won a Super Bowl. They've never had sustained success. Um, they have turmoil right now in their front office. Um, their roster is bottom five. Um, so you're going to have to really sell them on the fact that you've got a franchise quarterback, you think, on a rookie deal. You've got a young, innovative offensive coach who can score points. Then you're going to be equipped with two things. You're going to get a ton of cap space, and you're going to get a top-five pick. And you're in charge of that, and you can rebuild this defense in two off seasons and make them competitive again. Mm -hmm. But, like you mentioned, does Michael Bidwell medal? I don't think I would go that far. He's involved. He's not hands off. And I think we, a lot of us would like to see right. him be hands off. And maybe he decides to take a step back if he wants that legitimate candidate. But I, I just think with the fact that you didn't move off a of time last year, 
and you you kind of went backwards with allowing Kime to pick another head coach. You're going to keep the head coach. You're going to double down on Kyler, obviously, but you're going to fire the GM. You really lost the avenue to basically say, like, we're going to let the GM, new GM, whomever we get, come in and do whatever they want. That, that's not going to be the case. This new GM is going to inherit two very valuable pieces, and they're going to be expected to work with them in conjunction um, and trust that Kingsbury is a competent head coach, even though he's coming off a losing season where he wins four games or five games. And again, that's who's to say how much of that directly is his or fault. Three games, or, or three, three games. games. Yeah. I, I, I think that the one four, John, like I said, I just, I can't see them. I can't see Kyler, especially just taking this whole thing, laying down. I think at some point there will be some type of football gods moment where things will flip their way against one of these teams, or maybe the Ram or maybe the Seahawks even end up, you know, maybe not sitting players, but just kind of get a little caught off guard, at least for that one. Things bounce their way. They maybe rest a player like Tyler Lockett. I, I feel like that's the case, but it still is a disappointment ultimately because there is a lot of hype behind this team where people have, uh, there's been a lot of people who have wanted in the league, I think, who've wanted Kingsbury and Kyler to fail because then it will reaffirm whatever they've believed has been true about the game. So far, it hasn't been the case, but until no. they start winning, then people are still going to buy in that. And there's a lot of people who want to see you know, this innovative young head coach. And the guy like uh, even tonight, Bleacher Report had like uh, their Gridiron Heights videos. They had an entire one that was Star Wars Mandalorian focused on Kingsbury and Murray. And it just showed that there's this attraction that people have to that Cardinals team now that's different from what it just was with Larry Fitzgerald or just from talking about David Johnson and the fantasy points that you were getting from him in 2016. There's something that people can buy into on a national scale with these two. You saw it all throughout the draft. And that's an opportunity that you do not want to waste uh, if you're the Cardinals. Uh, let, let me go ahead and shift real quick. We've talked a lot about GM. Uh, let's talk about some of who are some of the defensive head uh, candidates you could look for. From what I have at least heard is that the Cardinals would be much more looking to still keep the same model that the Rams have, the similar model that they have this year of finding a guy who's got previous head coach experience to help guide Kingsbury, um, whether it's in the NFL or connections or just staff. It just seems like that when you're a head coach that that's what they would prefer. And you've got a couple of guys who are probably going to be cut loose this year. Ron Rivera was fired today. He runs a 4-3 defense. Um, Philly fans are saying that Jim Schwartz is probably out uh, you also have another guy like Dan Quinn who's going to be there potentially. Um, I, I, I know at least for that. Matt Patricia is also in danger. Who would be the options or things you would look for, John, if it's your decision? Do you think the cards have to stay in a 3-4 defense? What are some of your takes at least on the defensive head coach if and or when the Cardinals make their move on from Vance Joseph? I have no issue with scheme. Because I think the Cardinals, and I love Chandler. He's 30 years old. You're not going to build around Chandler Jones. Um, and he could have a couple more productive seasons with the Arizona. I'd still feel that way. I don't care if you run a 4-3 or a 3-4. I, I just, if you're the, whatever better coordinator you can find, the best that you can, if he wants to come in, run a, you know, 4-2-5 or whatever it is, or 2-5, whatever, it doesn't matter. As long as you produce, I don't care what the scheme is. And then hopefully they draft players. Uh, part of this is you got to draft players in the first round to play their actual positions. They drafted a safety that was a defensive end. They played him an inside linebacker in Reddick. They took an undersized 
or excuse me, an oversized safety, tried to play him an inside linebacker like they own Buchanan. Just play the guys at the position that they're projected to play in in the NFL, their true positions. I think they'll have better success. So to get back to the question that you asked, um, I, I would try to coax the, one of the top college defensive coordinators to, to come to Arizona. I try to double down on what you did a year ago with Kingsbury, and I would go from the college ranks. Clearly, the college ranks have um, legitimate candidates. And I, instead of reshuffling the same old garbage in the NFL that we've seen so many times, um, I would call, I'd call Georgia and see if I could speak to, to their defensive coordinator. Um, I believe it's Jerry. Uh, I'd call Clemson and try to coax Brent Venables to come in Arizona. And because it really, you've maxed out all, all you can do in, um, in uh, Death Valley. If you don't want to be a, a college head coach, I mean, I'm sure he could get a job. Um, it, you know, guess who's running the defense at Auburn this year? Will Muschamp. Um, and I, I, that, that, that would be a call I would be pro toward. I mean, that, those are the kind of things that, that I would try to get creative with. Um, the, the number one, I'm on Bleacher Report now, and the top defensive candidate in the, in the, in the college ranks is the guy by the name of Bud Foster runs the defense of Virginia Tech. I mean, any, any of those guys I just listed, I would be worth the roll of the dice. You're going with the unknown, which includes some excitement, like we saw with Kingsbury. I don't, I don't want to see a reshuffling of defensive coordinators in the NFL who are middle of the pack that you hope you can elevate, or who have, have a poor track record, but you're going to sell us on the fact that, you know, they didn't have the support of ownership or whatever. Uh, all I'm saying is, let, let's like Kingsbury that showed innovativeness on the the part of the front office. You got to give Kime credit for that. He saw that. Do the same thing on the defensive side. That's why it just it burns me because the Rams got lucky. They 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 lucked into Wade Phillips because they knew he'd never get another head job. And you, you're able to sit back. Like I, I think if if you could find that equivalent, that's great. But there there's nothing capable or comparable to that. Ron Rivera is going to take uh, the job that's going to set him up to be a great head coach again. Um, and that's not Arizona, in my opinion. You know, Vic Fangio is a head coach because he took the Bears job and he elevated them. They had great defensive personnel. That's what Rivera is going to be looking for. I wouldn't be surprised if he wound up back in Chicago. He was Lovey Smith's defensive yeah. coordinator for a yeah, long time. Now, they run a, now he runs a different scheme. But Again, they're not exactly tearing it up this year with Pagano running a three-four. So it is what it yeah, is. It's been rough. The the uh, interesting thing going back and listening to Adrian Wilson um, when he was speaking earlier, and it, it's fascinating how he does seem to know his stuff very well, even at you know only about five years or so of experience, and he's made his way up the Cardinals organization very quickly. He talked and mentioned that he believed that it's easier to switch from a a three-four to a four-three. Uh, excuse me, from a 3-4 to a 4-3, because essentially all you have to do is just take the one linebacker and put his hand in the dirt. You already have defensive linemen who are there to man the gaps. And then as far as the linebackers play, you've got two linebackers right here. You usually end up with one Mike anyway, who's kind of your on-ball linebacker. You've got one who's your off-ball linebacker. You kind of already have that set up in terms of the front seven. And then it's really just the defensive backs. I, I think what I'm coming to think, John, is – the Cardinals were a top 12 defense against the past last year. 
And this year, it seems like they're selling out to stop the run, and that's what's affecting their pass defense. Uh, it also seems like that the zone that they're playing and however it's adapted, it just has not been good. There's still too many blown calls. We did see that last year as well. I think it just turns into a place of you just need to look at how the Cardinals were in 2015 as a top-rated pass defense with the likes of Peterson at a high level, with Matthew uh, having a guy like uh, Gerard Powers, man, the other side who was reliable, uh, even putting Rashad Johnson and Tony Jefferson back there in safety. I think it may be it's a talent factor, and maybe you end up seeing a benefit next year when the Thompson Twins take off. But I think right now it's – uh, a combination of scheme and talent where I feel at least that if the Cardinals move on from Patrick Peterson, that they, they probably would be um, either keeping him for next year if they can't find a way to trade him or a good enough trade that it's going to take another year or two for this past defense to be able to catch up. You're probably going to have to take it slow and not look at it until 2021 for your defense to be fixed. So in that case, you might as well be able to make a move to a four, three, you know that you've been able to make it before. You also haven't seen that much of a difference. And I wouldn't be opposed to if you wanted to say, hey, bring in a guy who has experience with scheming, with being able to get stuff designed to force pressure up front. And then you can just go over the next two years, draft guys to be able to cover and catch the ball, whether you're playing a zone or a man corner, just find talented players who have an identity there versus trying to bring in Vance Joseph and having him uh, change the identity you want for the team. It's the second year in a row where Cardinals went in thinking they were going to be a 3-4 press man defense. Wilkes went and changed it to a 4-3 the first year. Second year, they're playing all off zone. Uh, I think that talent and that talent scouting aspect is the most important part. And it would I wouldn't mind, you know, the Cardinals uh, going to the collegiate ranks, like you said. It's like they did with Kingsbury. You weren't going to be able to lure like a Josh McDaniels. You probably wouldn't want a guy like him there with how much control he would beg so you go to the college ranks you're able to get the cream of the crop from there bring it into the nfl i i still think that the cardinals ultimately are going to want to have some sort of nfl connection and maybe that's maybe that's just how it is you know with, a lot of people always say hey we want three to five years experience on the resume cardinals probably don't need to have that but i, I think that they want it anyway just so that way you at least have enough for cliff uh, one of the last things we'll talk about, at least uh, tonight, and this is kind of one of the conversations I brought up, at least, was did a bit of research, was talking at least some with Seth Cox on uh, our last podcast, which if you guys didn't get a chance to listen to it, uh, we had three outstanding guests in a row with Ben Albright, um, with uh, Walter Mitchell from Revenge of the Birds, and Seth Cox from Revenge of the Birds. All of them came and had some fantastic things to talk about. What's, uh, what Seth and I went over was looking at the Cardinals and the positions as far as with what they're going to draft in the top seven, maybe even top five picks. Um, you take a look at what the top defensive linemen have done this year. I've got kind of the tweet thing on my timeline. I'm going to probably end up popping it somewhere into an article just to keep it. The Cardinals, when you look at the players this year, who are the top defensive linemen, like the Ed Olivers, the Nick Bosa's, they're ranked about the highest one is ranked 13th overall in their in their position group as far as linebackers go say you think linebacker is your top need the top ranked guy overall who's first amongst rookie linebackers is 27th among regular linebackers the number three i should say linebacker actually overall is jordan hicks jordan hicks and buda baker are like i think in top five in tackles in the nfl which is crazy uh, but that just shows how those two are some of the most talented players. The rest of Cardinals players like Hassan Reddick aren't even near to make the tackle. Uh, 
So when you're talking about making an impact, um, the quickest way to do that is in free agency. We've seen that right now. Jordan Hicks, he's top five in tackles in the NFL. He's probably like the one uh, free agent player who's really worked for them this year. He was available as a free agent. You didn't have to spend a first round pick on him. And he's had a bigger impact than any of the upcoming rookies that they've had. You look at guys like Ronnie Staley on the offensive line, some of those rookies, unless it's a Quentin Nelson type player, it's really difficult to find one of those guys who's transcendent, who can have an immediate impact on your team. Um, the guys who I think you would look at this year who would do that would probably be Chase Young, who I think every Cardinals fan would love to have, but probably will be sad when he, he goes in the top two and the Cardinals at most, I think would be picking top three. Uh, at worst, I think they're going to be still in the top 10, it seems at this point. Or a, a guy like Jeff Okuda, especially if you are able to trade a guy like Patrick Peterson, you're in place to take another cornerback, then maybe you end up starting to build a new identity around two tough physical kind of lockdown corners with him and Byron. Perhaps that's a good start for it. But you look at the receiving core this year, and this is my biggest complaint. There was a fourth and four play against the Rams. And they ran almost looked like a play from 2018 where the four wide receivers ran these quick outs. Kyler was almost immediately under pressure from the blitz. And they all just kind of stopped. None of them kept moving. They didn't move downfield. It's almost like someone like was supposed to keep moving. However it was designed, they just, they just kind of stood around it. I, I don't know what happened. I, I think I would put some blame on Kingsbury. But you look at the Cardinals receivers, and right now the number one receiver for the Cardinals is Larry Fitzgerald. He's on pace for 81 catches for 865 yards, four touchdowns. It's not a thousand yards. It's not an eight to nine. There's the next wide receiver in Kirk. Even if you expanded his stats out, he wouldn't even hit a thousand yards on the season. He's playing out of the slot. He's been honestly kind of a disappointment because whenever the Cardinals have played a tough defense, they just have not done well. And that's even not talking about if Fitzgerald does decide to hang it up after this season is done. If he's just like, Hey, like that's two losing seasons in a row. I don't know if I want to stick around for this one. The Cardinals, maybe. Who knows if he's been playing through an injury. The third receiver is David Johnson, and he hasn't even played the last few weeks. That is how rough it's been for the Cardinals receiver core. So as a result, if from my perspective, if you look at the production that the team at least could have, right now there's about four or five receivers who are all getting about you know 51 catches for about, oh, let's see, 53 catches, 650 yards, two touchdowns. That's out of Keyshawn, Bird, Isabella, Shorefield, and Crabtree. A lot of Cardinals fans have talked about CeeDee Lamb reuniting him with Kyler Murray. I think, John, you and I are kind of in agreement. If you take all four or five of those guys, CeeDee Lamb can match or exceed that production next year, at least, that those five guys are putting up, can't he? Oh, yeah. I, I think he could sleepwalk his way into 1,000 yards as a rookie. I just think with the amount of how much they want to throw and even if, if he's got some raw tendencies, you can work around that, and, and Kingsbury will scheme him open. We've talked about it previously, Blake. He's, he's like a running back with the ball in his hands. The, his ability to break tackles is, is going to be so valuable at this next level that he's not just reliant on speed and, and separation. Um, and he's, he's got a, a very solid frame. He, I think he's going to come into the offseason about 6'2", 6'2 Closing in on 200 pounds, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, he played between 195 and 200 at the NFL level with some room to grow. I mean, that's that's more than physical enough, and the Cardinals just don't have that. Um, so you just did a nice job breaking down the, 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 the current state of the receivers. We know Andy Isabel is going to get a legitimate chance to, to 
emerge next year. Um, and they're going to force feed him targets. I think they should. He was a high pick for a reason. Kirk is an ascending player, and he was derailed by an injury this year. He disappears too much in games, like you mentioned, but could be a really high-end number two wideout. And that's totally fine. Um, I, I, this is going to come off as kind of a hot take. I, I don't think it is based on where this team is going and where they're projecting. I would not bring back Larry Fitzgerald. Um, I, I think that his cap number this year was just over 11 million. Uh, I'm not, I'm not paying 11 million and I, I'm not going to use it as, as an example with other players under contract for the Cardinals. Cause the Cardinals have a, a lot of bad contracts and I'm, I'm not saying Larry's was a bad contract. It's going to be 37 years old, paying him double digit millions in, in, a, in, a, in a, on a roster that has so many holes. And I, I get it. He's year to year. He's not hampering you down the line. But if they take a, a top five wide receiver and they spent a second round pick on a wide receiver a year ago, a fourth round pick on a wide receiver a year ago, a, a sixth round pick that played a lot. And the year before they took a wide out in the second round in the top 40. We're, we're, I, I get it. All those players are probably, they don't compare to Larry right now. Where does Larry fit into that mix? I just, I don't, with the way this team hopefully will transition to the next phase of Cardinal football, which hopefully includes a little bit of winning, players like Larry, and again, I said this before, Patrick Peterson falls into this category. Chandler Jones, you obviously want to keep around, but because he's one of the best still in his position, Larry struggles to separate. And I, I just I don't think it's financially smart to continue paying him what he expects to get paid. And I I I say that with the caveat that in the right offense, he could still go for a thousand yards and have a really nice season. And probably if he wanted to continue playing, could go do that for somebody. But you cannot be beholden on what a player is going to do once they leave. You have to only focus on what you what your vision is. And with Kingsbury's offense, Larry is not the kind of player that Kingsbury envisions having. Not Larry at 37, peak Larry, of course. And I just yeah. I don't think he fit fits into their to their plans long term. I think that this is a rebuilding team that needs cap space, that needs young, cheap, cost control talent, that like you just mentioned, Blank. You could add some nice pieces in free agency. That's three starters on defense, or at least two, that you could bring in and pay right away with Larry Fitzgerald's contract that you, you wouldn't be paying him. And people are saying, well, you need the security blanket. You've got the number one overall pick coming off a really nice rookie season. Could be a historic rookie season. Coming into year two in the same offensive system with a, with a receiver that everybody assumes Christian Kirk is their number one wideout. And if you're adding C.D. Lamb to that, like Larry Fitzgerald, other than novelty and nostalgia, does not have a place on this team. Mm-hmm. And I, I hate doing that. He's 37 years old. That shouldn't be some kind of egregious hot take or, or upset people. He just doesn't have a place on this team. Go young. Go cheap. Add, you need help on defense in the front seven, at safety, at right tackle. You don't need an expensive 37-year-old number three wideout. And to me, I, that's, I would make that decision, but they're not going to. 
because they want to be relevant and they love Fitzgerald and they should put him into the ring of honor the day he's done. Make it, you know, make him whatever role he wants with the team, let him have that. But they have so they their their self-esteem is so low, they will never openly part with him unless he he decides to walk away. But that's what I would do. Yeah, and and I think that there's still at least a role and value. Like we said, he's still your number one receiver this year, but that's still putting up, you know, 800 yards or so off of... By default. I mean, that doesn't say a lot. So so some of that, I think, at least is like, you know, I I think I'd agree with you where I'd be more open to it if you traded Patrick Peterson and suddenly got an extra $12 million in cap space. I think that would be obviously... Absolutely. But now you suddenly, you go from $80 million to $100 million. With With those two... Departures and with David Johnson is the other one where you save another eight million if you're if you can find and so then all of a sudden it's like okay you know what if Fitz wants to come back if it's eleven million say hey can can you make it eight and we'll you know hey we can give you a little bit uh, off the top of eight. like if you and we saw Blake we saw there. the Cardinals win this year without Patrick Peterson without David Johnson right. and with a, yep. a minimized Larry Fitzgerald mm-hmm. you're telling me I can have that next year with thirty plus million dollars in cap space. And another draft class, and another group of free agents. Just gotta trust the guy who's pulling the trigger on those things. And a lot right. of people right now have had their faith shaken. So I, I would lean towards saying, hey, until fits, until the wheels fall off, I think that he, you know, even like in the this last Rams game, he had a clutch catch over the middle that he plucked at least out of the air. I, I think my mother even yelled at the TV like, why aren't they throwing it to him more? And so I still see that there's enough of that there where. He's able to produce in a positive light. But the problem is, like you've been pointing out, John, is he should probably be like a wide receiver two on this team. If not on, you know, he'd be a wide receiver three on a team with two really good receivers. Like he, he wouldn't be surpassing Will Fuller or, you know, DeAndre Hopkins on the Texans. Uh, that's the issue with the Cardinals is that they're essentially relying on this 36, 37-year-old wide receiver because Steve Kime is not able to identify and find the guy who's been able to replace him yet, just in the same way they did not take advantage of being able to uh, find a quarterback before they absolutely needed to get one. And then were essentially forced to kind of take maybe the, not the number one guy on their board overall. We, we haven't even talked about the uh, fact that the Cardinals had not really, not really said that Lamar Jackson was a wide receiver, but they just, you know, had enough team sources and things leaked where they just, they were not overall fans of him, and it probably was hinging maybe a bit more on Kime. Maybe there's others within the organization, but like like what it all comes back to, at least, this is a turning point for the team, and at some point, you're going to have to look at the past players who are there and say, hey, the future that we have was built with Murray and with Kingsbury is what we need to build toward, and we can't keep holding on to this old nostalgia of this 2015 times that was four years ago the cardinals need to be able to move on be able to fully embrace getting a fresh start and ultimately to say hey we're going to say if you're not producing at the level we need you to be we're going to move on from you fits for all of that he's not producing at the high level but he's still producing there's guys that they've brought in who are starting who are not producing at a good left level and i think patrick peterson he's not one of those guys uh, David Johnson, at least he's had a rough season. If they have to keep him, then hopefully he can bounce back. But he's another one of those guys. Just start to foster a culture of winning around the quarterback who essentially has won everywhere he's been, except now with the Arizona Cardinals. And uh, granted, I should say maybe even a shut up and Kevin, someone who was his head coach, didn't have a winning record and has looked like a bit of a train wreck down at the U of A. But this is where the Cardinals are. As we kind of sit here right now, they've got four games left. Uh, let's take a look at the upcoming 
team just before we head out of here. The Pittsburgh Steelers. John, do the Cardinals have a shot in this game? Do you pick a win or a loss in the second-to-last home game of the season? Sure, they've got a shot. I don't think they're going to win. Um, I just I think there's too much negativity around the team right now. Um, I think it'll be close, um, but I think that the Steelers' offensive line is is really good. They get Marquise Pouncey back this week. They're just going to run right at Arizona, and they're going to use you know James Conner might play, Juju might play this week. I mean they they're going to get some guys back. Vance they're in McDonald, a play- Vance oh. McDonald. They're gonna they're they're in a they're in a playoff run. Um, they they they're playing for something. The Cardinals aren't playing for anything. Um, the only way I think they win or they stay super competitive outside of scoring, you know, drive for drive. And, it, you know, the Steelers got a great defense, man. So it'll be tough for Kyler, but we've seen him do yeah. it against the Niners. But, you know, what I will say is if, you know, the Devlin Hodges is a four string quarterback. If he plays like garbage, you know, they're going to have a shot. Just like when they played the Giants and Daniel Jones didn't play well for, you know, two and a half quarters and they, they won that game. Um, so. The biggest thing is, can the, can the defense get off the field on third down? And if the answer is no, then they're not going to win another game this season. So I will pick Pittsburgh to win um, in something. That I think they keep them under 30 points. You know, woohoo. I think they win something in the neighborhood of uh, 24, 21, something like that. But I, I do think Pittsburgh wins. I, I have it as similar. I have it as... Um... I had it, I think, is 22. I was originally going to say 20 to 14. I think Pittsburgh's defense is too good and that this Arizona team, I think it'll bounce back a bit early, but then it will struggle some. It wouldn't shock me if it ends up turning into a 2017 sort of game where it's 17-17. Pittsburgh's, either the defense or someone makes a play, maybe Kyler drives down the field to tie it with a field goal, and then the Cardinals' defense loses it late. But I could see this being a game where, um, because of the fans that will be there, a lot of Cardinals fans after this last game, I think they're going to sell their tickets. The Steelers fans who are living out here, it's going to be a lot of black and gold on Sunday. And that's yep. And you know what? They did the they, they deserve it. Right. And that's what we said. It's like if Michael Bidwell has to kind of look at all of the black and gold, and the Steelers end up winning on the Cardinals home field again. I don't believe the Cardinals have beaten the Steelers since that Super Bowl year, unless I'm wrong. Uh, even the Michael Vick year, they had Landry Jones came out and was able to throw on them. Um, ben had a huge touch, and they just have not been able to beat the Steelers like at all. It's just it's a team that they struggle with. Um, you'd have to see a collapse from Devlin Hodges. What we've seen at least is it would be the uh, almost anomaly of anomalies. You'd have to hope that the Cardinals, if they were going to win this game, they'll have to do it two ways. One is uh, look at the Daniel Jones game, able to force him to have get off of his spot, be able to pressure him, force some of those turnovers and fumbles. And secondly, I think they'll have to run the ball. And to me, what I would do is bring out Chase Edmonds, be able to see him be an effective runner, bring out him and Kenyon Drake, take David Johnson and be able to use him only on pass plays. Don't, don't even worry about handing him the ball off on the backfield. Just use him on pass plays and try to limit as much as you can, at least to where Murray's not going to be put in a compromising position to make a mistake against a difficult Steelers team and hope that you're able to take advantage at least of uh, you know, the Steelers kind of being caught off guard unexpectedly. That, to me, is the best way they can win. And for me, like, I'm telling people, like, if the Cardinals can go 4-0 to finish the season, like, I'm for that. If you can tell me that Vance Joseph figures it out and can turn it around or that the players say we're not going to handle this and that they would win games, that they'd be motivated, or that Murray was carrying the team to wins, I'm all for it. I'm not rooting against the team. What's tough, at least, is what I came into the season wanting, John, was for the Cardinals to show us who they really were. 
And so far up until this point, they've showed us that they are every bit the three, eight and one team that hasn't beaten a team with a better record than them on the season and has now officially the 32nd defense in the NFL. And that's going to result in a lot of people having to, you know, go home to their wives and kids and saying that they were fired and let go, whether that's and does ultimately fall back onto the general manager. And to that extent, the owner who has to look himself in the mirror, figure out that he trusted, you know, the wrong guy and determine whether he's going to make a change or not. So I will pick the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers to win. I think I'll end up with a score like 23, I'd say I could say 23-17 would be my final score. Uh, I do think that it's possible that, you know, the Cardinals end up scoring or tying it up pretty close late, but it wouldn't shock me at least. I just don't think you can bet a single game on this team up until their defense um, shows some sort of sign of life. All right. Well, that'll about wrap it up for us. Uh, thanks so much, at least for joining us. You can listen again in on Apple podcasts, Google play podcasts, uh, Spotify radio, also found on revenge of the birds.com. Uh, John, where can the uh, listeners find your content available online? Yeah, I am, uh, of course, at revengeofthebirds.com and do a weekly recap of the game right afterwards. So hopefully you're able to to check that out uh, following a Cardinal victory on Sunday. And then, of course, here on the ROTV pod and on Twitter at Johnny Touchdown. Blake, where can they find you? Yeah, that was good to mention the ROTV pod. I keep forgetting. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at ROTV pod. We do follow back. Uh, I'm at Blake Murphy 7 and if you do want to tune into Revenge of the Birds, it should be up probably by the time this podcast drops. Um, the new kind of Three Doors article I have that will be going over. So if you want to look at GM candidates a little bit on uh, the history of guys like Quentin Harris, Adrian Wilson, and the decision that Michael Bickle has to make, that will all be there available for you to read as well. Thank you guys again for joining us so much. Take care. Have a good one.